conference basketball season has arrived in the Big 12 and SEC, and we're going to talk about it on Sportsbeat KC, presented by Big O Tires, with beat writers Jesse Newell, Kellis Robinette, and Suichi Tirada. It's Friday, January 3rd, and I'm your host, Blair Kirkhoff. The schools all face difficult challenges Saturday. Kansas plays host to ranked West Virginia, K-State travels to Oklahoma, and Missouri visits Kentucky. Jesse gets us started by addressing a prediction made by ESPN Seth Greenberg that KU coach Bill Self addressed earlier this week. Jesse's here. How you doing, Jesse? Doing good, Blair. How about yourself? I'm good. Um, I want to know, what direction do you think Self will take the Spurs when he gets the job here later, <laughs> later this year? Uh, they're, they're in the playoffs as the eighth seed right now, but uh, uh, yeah, I was a little amused by, by that, uh, that exchange at his press conference yesterday. Yeah, and listen... Um, I, I feel like I really need to kind of address everything with this because I, where I think it goes wrong is Seth Greenberg makes a bold prediction on ESPN and then you see headlines of prediction that this happens and then people take it as, oh, this is a report that it's going to happen. So it's two different things here. He's predicting it's going to happen rather than reporting it's going to happen. A couple months ago, there were some reports, like a real report talking to sources saying that the Spurs continue to talk about Bill Self as their future coach. So two different things going on here, but obviously Bill Self has long time been uh, linked to the Spurs in this job. What he said yesterday was obviously very uh, fiery, if you will. He was very um, strong with his words, but it doesn't change the fact that after the season ends, KU has this notice of allegations hanging over their heads. They're gonna get some sort of punishment. And if I'm Seth Greenberg, if I'm being completely honest, a prediction of Bill Self going to coach the Spurs, thats it's a bold prediction, but it's not a horrible one because there's been so much fire related to this thing for so long and things can change in the future here. So I feel like I want to go ahead and address all sides of this thing, which is, did anything different happen over the last week? No. Did Bill Self handle it appropriately? Yes. Could he still take the Spurs job at some point in time? Absolutely, even though, again, right now, I don't think we're any closer to that than we were here in the Latin maybe two or three weeks ago. Look, every, everybody makes predictions, right? It's the yeah. end of the year, beginning of the new year. It's, it's the time to make predictions. It's, you're right. Um, Seth Greenberg wasn't out of his lane when he, when he said what he did. Um, but it did get confused a little bit in the in, in the public space. I, I think so, and you know, Bill Self is so smart. Listen, I'm I'm not saying what he said yesterday is, is not true, but but his response to this is so brilliant when you kind of break it down and know how Bill Self talks because he doesn't waste any words. He understands exactly what he says. What he said with his response was he had never talked to R.C. Buford about the job. Both of them had stood up in each other's weddings. Had never right. talked about the job. Well, Blair, if, if this actually happened, R.C. Buford would not talk to Bill Self about the job. He would talk to Bill Self's agent. So, I mean, even something like that, I'm not, I'm, I don't think they've talked. I don't think there's anything to that. And again, Popovich hasn't even retired yet. So I don't think there have been discussions. But, but it is interesting even listening to the language of this because he's like, well, I've never talked to R.C. Well, if you got the job, you'd never talk to R.C. about it because he would talk to your agent and you would find different ways to go about this thing. So, again, this whole thing is fascinating to me. I'm not saying Bill Self is gone. Please, no one out there say that because that's the same thing as saying Seth Greenberg's prediction is is what is actually going to happen. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, is there a scenario where this happens? Absolutely. Did anything change over the last week? No. And I, I think for Bill Self, it has to be a little bit tiresome to kind of continue to answer the question. But there's a good reason he's being asked the question. Right. Of more immediate concern for the Jayhawks is a game on Saturday against the West Virginia Mountaineers who come into this contest as a ranked team surprisingly to me not that they're they deserve their ranking 
But I didn't see this coming in the preseason with West Virginia. So I, I wanted to talk to you not only about this game tomorrow, Jesse, but about how the Big 12 uh, un, uh, non-conference play unfolded for the, for the league. There were some really nice wins, of which West Virginia had, had, an, had one of them uh, against Ohio State. Um, but but it's not the it, it doesn't seem to be the, the the strong performance that we've seen in past years from the, the Big Twelve, the, and, and the my interpretation of that is based on you know the, the power ranking. They're they're not the number one conference, and they usually are. The the schedule allows them to do that. Ten team league, they all play pretty good non conference schedules, so it's easy for them to build up a nice resume. It just it there were just too many losses by the league going into play this year, and I think the Big Ten's the number one conference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Big Ten's run away with this thing, and for good reason, if you look at all the teams that are performing well there, and you're looking at, I mean, the middle of the conference for the Big Ten is, is so good, and that's really where I think the Big 12 has kind of risen up in recent years, is that it felt like every night, like even if you were Kansas in a top-five program, you'd go on the road and you were a one-point favorite or two-point favorite. You can make a case for them to lose the game absolutely. no matter where they went. Absolutely, and, and that's where it's a little bit different this year. You talked about West Virginia. I think West Virginia is the exception because West Virginia was sort of picked low, but they have exceeded expectations and have been very good. And Bill Self mentioned this, and I think this was a smart point to bring up when I asked him about the Big 12 race yesterday. He said, the conference has some good wins, so the ceiling is high on some of these teams. But if you go down the line, like K-State is much worse than most people thought they would be. Texas has disappointed, uh, especially uh, with what they thought going into the season. After a nice win early against Purdue, but it turns out Purdue is not as good as we Well, and Purdue is probably going to get lost in that Big Ten shuffle, too, where they just keep playing. They played a very tough non-conference, and now they're facing the Big Ten schedule, which is going to be very difficult. So I still think they're a decent team, but again, Texas has kind of fallen off since then. Iowa State just lost at home to Florida A and M. I mean, twenty-six or twenty-seven point favorite. What is what is going on there? And even other teams, you know, Oklahoma TCU. I was kind of, you know, I'm an AP poll voter, and I was on the verge of ranking them early in the season. And and since then, they really haven't done enough to to kind of stay in that range. Both those teams, nine and three. Texas Tech obviously expect to take a step back, and they've had a good win too. But again, not the level they were a year ago. So I think overall, this is a good conference. Uh, Ken Palm has them ranked second, right ahead of the Big East. Those two teams are, or two conferences are probably going to battle it out. But I think overall there have been too many teams that have not risen to the level what we thought they would be comparatively, which is why West Virginia is fascinating because they are the one team where you look at them and you say that they have been much better than what we thought they were going to be. And um, credit, credit to Bob Huggins. You know, last year at about this time, right before KU played them, they kicked like four or five guys off the team right. and cleaned house and you know wanted to get the culture right again. And usually those things don't spin around this quickly and get things turned in the right direction. And, I mean, it looks like the right move. Bob Huggins, uh, Hall of Fame coach. And defensively, they just are, have been so good. Teams cannot make shots against them. And that's been different from Press Virginia in the past where they force a bunch of turnovers. They still turn you up a little bit. But right now, they've got a lot of length. They've got um, guys that are, are you know, protecting the rim really well, and it's just very tough to score against them. So defensively, they're doing things a different way, but very effectively. And we talk about the good wins that uh, the Big 12 has had. I mean, uh, neutral against Wichita State and then also a neutral against Ohio State. Those are two pretty good ones that West Virginia has in its cap. You're right. When I look at this West Virginia team, they are. I think they have the defensive-mindedness that Bob Huggins preaches, but to have a little bit of length is different for – you know, for for the Mountaineers, when I I just remember West Virginia teams being so aggressive in their press and uh, and and causing 
teams a lot of discomfort away from uh, you know near midcourt. Mm-hmm. I mean they're they're just they're, they're just pests all the time. But this team can block some shots and, and body up. And I like the matchup uh, just because because we're, we're describing a little bit of Kansas as well. You know with with height with length, uh, good defensive team. In fact, I think both of these teams are terrific defensively. And I I don't know what the over under is in this game, but uh, I suspect uh, we. If, if we saw a game in the 60s, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and again, it's going to be based on the possessions and how quickly these two teams play. And actually, comparatively, they both sort of play um, quick paces, you know, so it's not like Virginia playing against a, a slower-paced team where you would have the over-under really low. But uh, I agree with you. It's, you know, Bob Huggins is so fascinating to me because um, there are so many ways to win basketball games, and I feel like he's hit on almost all of them. You know what I mean? Like, he went completely to press Virginia, and I sort of love that because it was such an ugly style to watch. But, like, they won every year. And it's sort of like, if you're at West Virginia and maybe you don't get the top of the top recruits and you get these sort of uh, these blue-collar workers and they're, they're in there and they're fighting it out, like, you can win with that style. It's going to be ugly, but who cares if you win? And so uh, it feels like Bob Huggins has kind of turned a new leaf and found another way to win, and you mentioned it. Um, he had Javon Carter, you know, he had Daxter Miles and some of these really good guards that could get after you. And now he just seems to have these really good big men who can kind of protect the rim and do things a different way. So I'm just fascinated by West Virginia and how, you know, even though Bob Huggins is an older coach and has done a lot of different things, he seems to just continue to evolve and find a way for his team to win. And I, I think this year, just like some other years, has been evidence of that. One team we didn't mention in the Big 12 earlier uh, in our conversation was Baylor. And... Baylor off to a fantastic start. Probably has more quality wins than anybody in the league, having beaten uh, the likes of Villanova, uh, Butler, Arizona. They, they have done a terrific – Scott Drew's done a great job getting this team ready for this season. That's opponent number three, I believe, for KU in Big 12 play. So they get West Virginia at Iowa State and then Baylor at home. Is, is that right? Isn't that how it starts off for, yeah, for KU? Yeah, it's a fascinating start because for Kansas – the road to losing the league, you would think, is to get swept by an opponent, especially since it seems like the tier-wise that Kansas is a tier above those other schools, probably Kansas first and then you know, break and then Baylor and West Virginia. And so the best scenario you can think of for KU to lose the league or, or to not win the league would be for Baylor or West Virginia to sweep Kansas. And so this is a fascinating stretch, Larry, as you mentioned, because you start with West Virginia at home, and you get at Iowa State again. Iowa State just lost at home to Florida A&M, so maybe you can pick that one off on the road. Still going to be a tough game. And then you get Baylor at home. If KU starts three and zero there, I mean, I'm not saying that you know it's over. Write the ship, you know, start the parade, get the rings ordered, all that sort of stuff. But it becomes much more difficult if you are trying to chase Kansas from behind. And also, the top two teams in the league you've already played at home and gotten those wins out of the way. You could probably afford road losses down the line. So, yeah, it is sort of a fascinating start to this season for Kansas. It's not particularly easy, but it sort of gets those two opponents right off the bat. And if Kansas drops one of those two to either Baylor or West Virginia at home, then all of a sudden you look at this and you say, oh, game on. One of those two teams has a pretty decent shot to knock off the Jayhawks if they can go ahead and secure a sweep. I read one of your stories uh, that uh, you talked to some computer guys about... um, That's what uh, I like to do. Yes, yes you do. Uh, And I enjoy reading about it. But they have Kansas as prohibitive favorites at, at this point. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I love doing this number because it's always uh, fascinating to me, and then it's also completely away from what KU fan perception is. And I thought this year uh, that maybe fan perception for KU that 
they would be a little bit like take a step back, a little bit less confident since KU did not win the Big 12 last year. And it turns out that that is absolutely not the case <laughs> with Kansas fans because I asked the very same question on Twitter. And again, I'm assuming that uh, the Twitter people that follow me are mostly KU fans. I said, what percentage is KU to win the league this year? What would you say? And last year, 81 to 100% got 59% of the vote. And KU obviously did not win the league. Right. And this year it was 63%, uh, 81 to 50. So, so fans have not lowered their expectations for Bill Self and the program, even after not winning the Big 12, still as confident as ever. But as I mentioned in the article, Blair, there is reason for confidence. And we mentioned some of that, which is, for one, Kansas, you know, I ranked them number two in my poll. There's a case to be made that they're the number one team in the nation right now. Um, if you look at some of the advanced polls, Bart Torvik, Ken Pomeroy, uh, Jeff Sagarin, um, all of them have them either one, two, three, or four, and they, you can't say that about every other team out there. So uh, this is a very good Kansas team. And then we mentioned the Big 12. There are this year potentially nights off that uh, that you can get wins when you're not playing your best basketball, and you couldn't say that about the league in other years, which kind of would maybe jumble things up a little bit when it comes to the standings. So uh, for Kansas, you know, I, I think the numbers were for Ken Pomeroy, 75% to win the, at least a share of the league, and for Bart Torvik, 79%. So not quite as high as the fans predict here, but um, still pretty much in line that, hey, this is a Kansas team that should have a very good shot at least of winning a share of the conference title. And as we know, around Lawrence, that's a very big thing, and they put those big pictures of the rings right outside the <laughs> locker room. There's a chance that KU adds another one of those after this season. Uh, Saturday marks their first game of the new decade. Who was KU's best player in the last decade? Oh, man. It's almost like you should have uh, warned me before, yes. <laughs> before going <laughs> in here. Should give me a little heads up. Uh, okay, well, let's, let's caveat it here because a little after, bit. Because after, after you, I'll give you, I, I think I know who you will pick. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know who I'm going to pick, so uh, that's really good. And uh, it, But if you do, I, I've got some, I want to talk about where this player, or whoever you pick, rates among the Big 12 of the last decade. Okay, great. Well, I, I want to ask you this real quick because I feel like you kind of have to decipher this out for yourself when you're thinking about this. Are we talking about kind of like an, an, an achievement award, like over the course of Kansas, or like the peak level of how they played when they... It's uh, a fair question because that, that's always, when you when you evaluate a college basketball player, yes. you know, I always say Kevin Durant's the greatest player who ever played in the Big 12, but he only played for one year. Exactly. That didn't mean Nick Collison had a better college career exactly. than Kevin Durant. So... Um, I'd say use your own judgment. I, I think this player had a little my my idea of who you're going to pick. I think this player <laughs> had a little bit of both. Okay, well, um, well, I, I think let me just start with the people that come to mind first, and we can narrow it down from there. I, I think if you're talking about peak performance, you're probably looking at players of the year that KU had, which would be in the Big Twelve, which would be Marcus Morris, Thomas Robinson, Frank Mason. Uh, and did Devontae, Devontae Graham yes, get there? He, yeah, yep, he got he there as well. He, so you probably Culver. you probably start with those four. Um, you know, I think probably the overall pick would be Frank Mason, um, and probably the guy that you probably thought that I would think would pick. So uh, <laughs> I would I would probably say Frank Mason. I would say Marcus Morris had a heck of a year. Uh, Thomas Robinson was probably consensus number two player in the nation during his season. Right. Uh, but Frank Mason probably has a little bit of both there. Even if you're going. A uh, longtime achievement award, Perry Ellis would have to get um, a nod sure. too, just because he played the entire decade and the previous decade. So I, all 20 years, you I know, he the, contributed for Kansas. I think the first five that you named would be an all-decade team for Kansas. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for 
sure. Um, but yeah, pro- probably Frank Mason, and uh, and he got all the way to National Player of the Year, which would be a good argument for him too. So I think that would probably be the consensus pick, and it'd probably be who I'd go with. You're correct. All right. Thank you. I'm glad I'm correct for the answer I was supposed to give. Um, so I was thinking about who, the, who was the Big 12 player of the decade, and I think it comes down to Frank Mason, Buddy Heald, and Monte Morris. Mm. It was a decade of not not many great big men. There weren't. It wasn't a decade where a big man had a great. Not, and I think that reflects college basketball. Big men don't. Great big men don't stay in college basketball that long. But great guard play in the Big Twelve in the last decade. You can throw in um, uh, Trey Young. Uh, um, yes. Well, Trey Young. Trey Young for sure. Um, Iowa State had other guards as well. Um, you know, Baylor had a slew of, of terrific guards in, in the league. Definitely do this year. And, and they do. Jared absolutely. Butler, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so those those three. So I was trying to come up with an all-decade team for the Big 12. And after those three, after Buddy Heald, uh, Frank Mason, and Monte Morris, I was coming up kind of empty. Because yeah. I thought about the Perry Ellis's, the George Niangs, mm-hmm. guys that had great, you know, 2,000-point-plus careers uh, in, in the Big 12. But, um, no, so I just – my all-decade team just – I settled with three. You started <laughs> stopped with three? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, those were three pretty good ones, obviously, um, when you're looking at statistics and the way they led their teams. And, um, yeah, Frank just sort of embodied, I think, I don't know, he's the, the story helps out the production too. You know what I mean? The unheralded kid, he was like KU's sixth choice in that recruiting right. class. He was supposed to go you know, to, to the tiny school of Towson. And then uh, Sam Mellinger wrote a great piece about how um, the teacher failed him, so he had to go back to school, all these sorts of things, and it led him to Kansas. And um, on the court, and I think this is something important because I've kind of talked about this a little bit with this year's team, and and maybe I underrated a little bit with Frank Mason, but Frank was not much of a talker. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, in interviews, he did him, didn't love him, you know, would say what he had to say, would get out of there, that sorts of things. But on the court, I mean, you always hear, like, bulldog or the mentality it just he was always the most competitive guy out there and for Kansas I I think for this year's team you're still kind of trying to look for who that guy is and it's so much easier as a team I think when that's your point guard when that's your leader when that's your leading scorer and he just would never back down from a challenge and so for this Kansas team if you're trying to poke holes and trying to say hey I just said they might be the best team in the nation or at least top two based off a lot of the numbers out there if you're trying to poke holes and say hey this is where they can improve I think having someone emerge as that sort of guy or player who can galvanize and, and kind of create some toughness, which we know is important for Bill Self, that's the sort of thing that I think this Kansas team really could use down the stretch, have somebody emerge doing that. And if that happens, then I like their chances a lot more even than right now. But I think Frank, even just watching him play, I think he gave KU some of that cockiness, toughness, all those sorts of things. And Bill Self was so good in close games in those years when Frank Mason was on the court. And I think those things were definitely really Well, good. and especially when he had Devontae Graham in the backcourt with him. Yeah, you know, Devontae's showing the ability now to be able to hit some very difficult <laughs> shots. Uh, maybe maybe his green light should have been greener back in Lawrence. I don't know. But, uh, man, what a phenomenal run he's had in the NBA. And he is a shot maker and uh, as we saw a senior year at Kansas, he was a shot taker and maker there as well, too. All right, Jesse, great talking to you. I appreciate it, Blair. Hey, when we come back, uh, Kellis Robinette uh, will continue the Big 12 conversation with, with Kansas State. If your steering wheel has more traction than your actual tires, that's a big oh no. Thankfully, 
For all your car's big O knows, there's always a big O yes. Now through February 2nd, buy three, get one free on select sets of four Aspen Touring AS or Mesa AP2 brand tires with paid installation purchase. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Disposal fees extra and up to 10% shop fee based on non-discounted regular retail price not to exceed $35 where permitted. See store for pricing. Eligibility may vary. Not valid with other offers. At participating locations, no cash value. Kellis, how you doing? I'm doing good, Blair. How was your uh, how were your holidays? My holidays were fantastic. Got a lot of family time in. Yours, I know, included a trip to Memphis, where you saw the Wildcats play in in the uh, Liberty Bowl. We're going to talk basketball, but how about a let's start with a quick thought on um, on, on K State's performance against Navy and tough way for that game to end for the for K State. Yeah, very tough, um, man. But boy, you kind of got to tip your cap to Navy there. If you're going to go down, losing on a bold and daring trick play that nobody expected is probably the best way to do it. I mean, obviously, some people have come out and said that Kansas State could have maybe called timeout there and did some things to to uh, better prepare for that. But I don't know that anybody anywhere was sitting on their couch saying, hey, Kansas State really needs to be on the lookout for a halfback pass here. I, uh, that caught me by surprise. So it, it was a, uh, you know, a, a good game that you're really not going to see much of any time – Come, coming up soon because uh, other than a non-conference game against Army uh, here in the near future, there's there's no other option teams on Kansas State's schedule. Yeah, it was uh, it was an experience. Yeah, it doesn't take away from a, a terrific first season for for Chris Kleiman, and there's uh, plenty to build on going forward for the Wildcats. But as that game was unfolding, you know we're K, the K State's in the midst of uh, of basketball season. And the Wildcats got a good win to end their non-conference play, or at least this portion of the non-conference play, because there's still the the SEC challenge to go. But you know, can can this be a little bit of a? It's obviously better to win than lose. But can Kansas State take something from their two-point win over Tulsa as they head into Big 12 play at OU on Saturday? I think so. I mean, does it fix everything? No. Are they suddenly Big 12 contenders? No. Do I think they'll make the NCAA tournament? Probably not. But will it help them against Oklahoma? Yes, I think it does. They've just been in a lot of those close games. We saw them take late leads against Marquette, Pittsburgh, and um, Mississippi State, and even St. Louis uh, recently, and they just could not close out those games. No matter what they tried to do, they seemed um, just lost in crunch time. Nobody was able to step up and make plays. And that actually finally changed against Tulsa, um, Cartier Jada made some big shots. Xavier Sneed had 18 points. And then McCall Maywin had one of his better games and came up with uh, a block at the end of the game that, that won it for him. So, and those are their, their big three veteran players, two senior starters. And they're the players that Kansas State has been winning on to have good games at the same time. They haven't really complimented each other as well as some have thought in most games this season. And that finally changed in that one. So it, uh, it gave them momentum. It, uh, you know, boost their hope going into Big 12 play. And I think it it will will help them when they take the court against Oklahoma. And I think you'll see a little bit more confident uh, group out there. It seems like the Big 12, I don't want to say it's down because they're the second-ranked conference in, in basketball, according to the uh, the analytics. But I think if you, if you had to project an NCAA tournament uh, field right now, you, you might only have five or six from the Big 12 instead of, Seven, you know, six or seven, which we're used to seeing. And Kansas State would certainly not be in in the field right now. But at least, at least the Big Twelve provides opportunities 
for teams like Kansas State and some others to build a resume in conference play. That's not true of every conference. There are there are leagues out there that didn't have a good non-conference uh, season, and so it's difficult for them to to pick up quality victories along the way. Kansas State's going to get that opportunity. And, you know, I, I'm, I've always believed that if you get to 500 in Big 12 play, you're, you can feel good about your, your NCAA tournament chances. I'm, I'm not, you know, it, it varies from year to year, but, um, I, I think that's, that's a goal. It should be a goal for Kansas State to, you know, to, to get to 500, maybe a game or two over. And I don't, I don't know if it's mission impossible, but it, should that be the way Kansas State approaches this thing? Now, obviously, they're rather out to win every game, but, um, if you see a 10 and eight or, you know, a nine and nine by Kansas state, that that's a team that will have made some strides, I think, in conference play. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously I, I don't see Bruce Weber going into the the locker room before the Oklahoma game and saying, all right, all right, boys, let's go nine and nine and be 12 this season. Um, but you know, for, for fans and, and us, in the media sitting from afar, I think that's a pretty reasonable goal. Um, I'm, I think it'll be a difficult goal for them to reach just because, like you said, the top of the conference is still pretty good with Kansas, Baylor, West Virginia all in the top ten or right about around it. And then there's Texas Tech just kind of lurking there. You know they're going to get better as the season goes on. So, um, you know, maybe you win a, a couple of those games and then hold your own against everybody else. Um, and, and at the end of the season, if you're 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8, and eight, um, you know, at, at the very least, that would probably be enough to get them into the NIT I'm with you. I think any nine and nine team in this conference deserves at least consideration for the NCAA tournament. Um, Kansas State did so little in the non-conference. I think it might take ten wins uh, this season for them to, you know, have a have a really good shot at it. And uh, right now, you know, the the internet projections aren't very kind for them. Ken Palm has them going six and twelve in Big Twelve play, not nine and nine. So. They're going to have to overachieve a little bit to get there, but um, I'm with you. I don't think it's Mission Impossible. They've got veterans on this team. If they can find a way to keep playing like they did against Tulsa, uh, you know, maybe they can make it happen. Okay, so uh, first game of the new decade for the Wildcats. It turns out the last decade wasn't wasn't terrible. Um, some nice moments for Kansas State Wildcats basketball in the in the in the teens. Two Elite Eight appearances for for K State hoops under two different coaches. Um, we're not gonna, we won't talk about the, um, you know, the greatest games or moments or seasons or anything, but I would like to get your opinion as somebody who covered all, covered all of it, uh, the decade. Tell us what's, uh, who, who was the, who was the best player? Who do you think was the, the Kansas State men's basketball player of the decade? Oh, man, Blair, you always ask the good questions. Um, I'd probably go, Jacob Pullen, even though he was only a small factor in this decade, uh, I think just his two, impact two years still, basically. Yeah, was, just 20, years, 2010, he, 2011, right? Right. His, I mean, his his two teams were, if you line them up against any of the other teams, Kansas State put out there, were still probably the the best of the group. Especially the that one in 2010 where they they went to the Elite Eight and they were a number two seed, and he played alongside guys like Denny Clemente and Jacob. Uh, or no, he was Jacob Bull and Curtis Kelly and Jamar Samuels and all those guys. Um, that was probably the best team they had throughout the whole last decade. And he also ended his career as K-State's leading scorer. He, he's the one one guy who you know is going to be next hanging up in the Raptors at Bramwich. So I, I would lean him. Uh, but if you're looking for more of a four-year impact guy, 
I would maybe say uh, that that would be a tough one for me between Roddy McGruder, Dean Wade, and Barry Brown. I'd maybe lean Barry Brown just because uh, he had a, a slight, maybe a little bit higher impact over four full years than those other guys. But a good decade all around. Um, conference championship for, for Kansas State, uh, plenty of NCAA tournaments, and uh, like you said, uh, just twice coming within a game of, of the Final Four. We'll see what the next decade brings starting Saturday when the Wildcats take on Oklahoma. Calvis, thanks a lot. And when we come back, you will hear from Suichi Tirada, who covers the Missouri Tigers. Hey, it's Blair. Hey, we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns we have to offer. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. For your convenience, your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50, unless you tell us to cancel. A lot of subscription services won't tell you that. They'll just sneak it on there. We just told you. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Suichi is here. Suichi, how you doing? I'm good. It's a great day to be alive, Blair. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is, my friend. Will it be a great day for the Missouri Tigers uh, on Saturday when they take on Kentucky? What a way to open the SEC <laughs> schedule. Uh, for Missouri, but at least at least Missouri goes to Lexington knowing that it's been playing better basketball these last few weeks. Yeah, I mean a four-game winning streak coming off the heels of that Charleston Southern loss. So there has there has been a lot of good recently. Um, Missouri finally hit a lot of threes. They hit 16 threes against Chicago State on Monday, which was I'm sure a great sigh of relief for everybody around that program. So, yeah, I mean, Consuelo's mentioned that, too, defensively they've still been sound. Offensive slowly started to gel a little bit more. So they're, they're, they're riding off a little bit of a high here, which should be uh, very good for the Tigers, for any Tigers fans. Yep, and since that, you know, the, the loss to Charleston Southern, of course, the low point of the season, and when they embarked on the four-game winning streak, it wasn't like it was just, you know, sub-300 RPI-type teams. They... <laughs> They had a couple of good wins in there, the the win at Temple right off the bat to end the losing streak, and then the Illinois bragging rights game, always a, a big game for, for Mizzou. So it wasn't as if they you know, they were they were cleaning up on you know, on directional type schools. But let me but let me take you back to their most recent game, the Chicago State win. Going into that game, I had wondered about Torrance Watson and what you know, he was shooting about 20%, maybe less than 20% on threes this year. And then he goes into that game and, and knocks down eight. You mentioned the team had 16. He had half of them and really, really lit it up in the second half. What is he, is he out of it? Is this, is this the Torrance Watson we're going to see the rest of the way? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's a little hard to say off of one game, but the post game comments kind of shed some light about the past two to three weeks for Torrance. And I think they were a little bit enlightening. And he mentioned that. You know, earlier this season, and and the thing is, too, to put some context behind him, is that his, to, to end last season, he was great. I mean, I, I wasn't here, obviously, but you look up the stats, he scored double digits five of the last six games. He was, you know, as a freshman, he was really taking that next turn 
you know, in your first year in college hoops. And then the past three weeks, he, he, he looked at the end of last year and he was like, what did I do? What, what did I do to make myself that good? And he realized it was a little things from getting the right amount of rest, going to the, you know, going to the gym, you know, doing all these small things. And he really credited Mark Smith, fellow sharpshooting guard, um, um, who's over 40% of three this year. Uh, and he, and he was talking about how they would go to the gym together. He would get off, you know, hundreds of shots each day. And, and you, and behind the scenes, you saw that, hey, Torrance Watson is making the necessary effort to actually be good. So I think that's a really good sign because no matter, you know, I, I'm sure he'll admit it now, but that swamp definitely changed him for the better, I think. And going forward, that that's going to be huge for Missouri. I mean, they're one of the worst shooting three-point teams in the country. So if they can knock down, you know, even 33% of their threes, which isn't blazing or great or anything, that, that really changes the offense for everyone involved uh, for Congo Martin's team. You're right. They're one of the worst three-point shooting teams, but they're also one of the better defensive teams in the country. Here, this is going to this is how they're going to have to win games, isn't it? On the on the defensive end, oh, once now that SEC play is here, it's it's got to be about the defense <laughs> for Conzo Martin. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's I mean that's what he wants, right? He has a yep. top twenty, top ten scoring defense, top twenty Ken Palm, I believe, right around there. Twenty um, second Ken Palm just the defensive efficiency, and that and that's what Conzo Martin is about. And I think the best teams you see really take on kind of the culture of Coach is trying to build. And Conzo Martin is really much so about the grit, the physicality, just outworking, you know, beating up the opponent. I, I mean, you look at the bragging rights game against Illinois, great atmosphere. But the difference, I think, I think Illinois was more talented that game. And I think, honestly, Missouri might agree with you, agree with me there. But the culture of the team, the ability to just impose your will really stood out to me. And I think if they can play like they did against Illinois and Bragg right? I think they 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 still do have a shot at the NCAA tournament if they play like that, and that that's a big if as we've seen against uh, Charleston Southern and these other few losses on the season. Every time we talk about Missouri basketball, we can pick out a Smith to spotlight. <laughs> um, there there are many of them, but let's let's take a look at Mitchell Smith and and what his insertion into the starting lineup has has meant for the Tigers. It just coincidentally has been, he's been starting as the, as the Tigers' fortunes have changed. What is he bringing to the lineup, and why is this working? Yeah, and I think the big thing with him is that he, he's six foot ten, six foot eleven, just like Jeremiah, but he can shoot threes. And just the fact that you have an outside threat, it's not like he's shooting a great, it's not like he's a Mark Smith in that regard, but just the fact that he can stretch that floor even just a little bit for Tillman down low in the post, I think really changes how Missouri can run its game. And Conzo has mentioned this a few times with Mitchell and that he knows where to be on the floor instead of just clogging it up. Because, I mean, we talk about two forwards, two six foot, you know, eight plus forwards playing on the same time. I mean, that's not really the trend of basketball anymore, right? Especially in the NBA with the three-pointers, you're going more wings for the four spot. But being able to put Mitchell Smith in and how he can switch on defensive and how he can shoot the three ball, how he knows how to space away from Tillman and actually gives us the space to operate like that, those, those little things I think really are the difference. And, I mean, he played, I think, 35, 36 minutes against Illinois career high. And those minutes, yeah, sure, he might not be scoring a lot, but – he does the little things. He does the little gritty things that Cons would like to see. And I think, once again, culturally speaking, that fits really well with Mizzou in terms of what they want to do and how they're going to be successful going forward. All right, you're on your way to Lexington to see the Tigers and, and Wildcats. <laughs> and uh, um, it is. It's, it's a haul. I've made it a few times. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, man, once you, 
once you once you get uh, once you get east of St. Louis, it's uh, pickings are slim when it comes to places <laughs> to stop. So um, make sure you load up in Mount Vernon. That's that's the important thing. So tell me about the SC. Uh, there are only two teams in the top twenty in the latest top twenty-five from from the conference, and only two others receiving votes. So Kentucky's in the poll at uh, I want to say fourteen in the in the AP poll and seventeen in the coaches poll, and then. Uh, and then Auburn's in the top 10, one of the two undefeated teams in college basketball. It seems like the SEC has had the same issues that some other conferences have had. That, that is, they've had some really horrible losses. Missouri, <laughs> Missouri's to Charleston yeah. Southern being one of them. Kentucky losing at home to Evansville was, it was a real head shaker. And that's prevented the league from, from getting a, kind of a good conference you know, rating so far this year. What, what have you seen from SEC play in, in November and December? Yeah, I mean, there is, there is, I think, I forgot, I think, I believe it was seven teams that made it to NCAA tournament from the SEC last year. Don't quote me on that. I don't have that on me. But just, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some slippage. I mean, you look at a team like South Carolina. They're not, they're not very good. You know, they're sub 100 Kempom, but they go out on a road and beat the reigning national champion Virginia. Then the very next game, they lose a step. And so games like that. And I, and I think, I honestly think South Carolina is going to win six or seven games. You know, shock a couple of maybe the bubble teams in the league, and the next thing you know, you're not on the bubble anymore. You're on the outside looking in. So that's the thing about the SEC. I think, as you mentioned, there's not as many good teams as you know, maybe a Big Ten or an ACC. But at the same time, that's I feel that's a little bit of a double-edged sword from Missouri because that gives you more of an opportunity to pick up these you know marquee wins, especially on the road. But at the same time, if you stumble even a little bit. I genuinely don't think if Missouri goes 99, 500 record in the SEC play and, you know, win one game in the, in the SEC tournament, I don't think they're in just because of the conferences, uh, just how bad it's been. So maybe, you know, if you get 11 wins, 11 and 7, probably in, 12 and 6, yeah, absolutely. But that this margin of error is just tightened so much, especially at the Charleston Southern loss. And if you add in a bad SEC, then it, 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 it just makes it so much more difficult for everyone in the conference to navigate that. So it should be fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to SEC play. I mean, going to college towns like Lexington is definitely a treat. So it, it should be a fun season, but it, it does put a lot of pressure on the Tigers to be able to perform to make the big dance. That's right. And, and, I, and I had it backwards earlier. Kentucky's 17 in the AP poll and they're 14 in, in the coaches. So, hey, enjoy your trip to Lexington, Suichi. You'll have a great time at Rupp Arena. It really is one of the great venues yeah. of, of college basketball. And, and we will talk to you again soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. That'll do it for another week of Sportsbeat KC presented by Big O Tires. Links to the stories we discussed can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Derek Donovan produced today's episode with an assist from Chris Oshner. We'll be back on Monday for another week of Sports BKC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.